0: Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. The reading of the Word, and if you want to look in your Bibles or your iPhone or smartphone Bible app, you know we're in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 13. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mercy, the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Father God, you are so great, so awesome, so wonderful. What you have done is just beyond our comprehension. We thank you, Lord, that you have made yourself known to us through your word and through your spirit. We ask this morning, Lord, that we would just listen to what you have to say. Use me, O God, because without you I can do nothing. Anything that I could say would have nothing of value in eternity. But through you and through your spirit and through your word, Lord, things can have eternal value. And we pray, Lord, that you would just open our hearts, our minds, and let us receive from you what you have for us. In Jesus' name amen and you may be seated well it's been several months since our last look into the book of Ephesians so let's take just a few minutes here to to see where we are in the overall scheme of things Uh, when I first started this study in the book of Ephesians I said I will probably read this quote uh every time I'm up here, and it's a a quote uh, from John McKay, a Scotsman, who became president of Princeton Theological Seminary back in the early 1900s, and he wrote of Ephesians, For our time the most relevant of all Paul's works, for here is the distilled essence of the Christian religion, the most authoritative and most consummate compendium of our holy Christian faith. This letter is pure music. What we have here is truth that sings, doctrine set to music. And one commentator called Ephesians a mini-course in theology. Ephesians is one of the prison epistles. Paul wrote while he was imprisoned in Rome, a prison uh, epistle uh, along with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And the Ephesian church was founded by the Apostle Paul during his second missionary journey. And the Ephesians seem to have a particularly uh, soft spot in Paul's heart. And this is evidenced by his visit with the uh, Ephesian elders in, in Acts chapter 20, if you would like to read that sometime. Now, the focus of the book is the mystery of the church the book of Ephesians contains the highest church truth and nothing really about church order in that you know and in that respect it differs from some uh, other books such as Ephesians I mean, such as uh, Philippians and uh, Colossians and so forth, that deal with matters concerning just a particularly local church. What he's writing to the Ephesians is the truth for all churches for all times. It is in deeper into theology, I guess, and way more than, than the others. Now, like I said, the focus of it is the mystery of the church. And before we go any further I want to clarify what we mean by mystery. You know, in modern English mystery is something to be figured out. You know I love to watch British murder mysteries on on TV. My favorite thing to watch on TV, you know you have to figure out who done it. And usually I don't figure out who done it or I figured it out wrong. But in the New Testament usage it is it means something that has been revealed by God something that man cannot figure out but God has revealed to us so the mystery of the church is not something that we have to figure out it is something that God has revealed to us it is now open and ready for us to understand now Paul uses this word six times in the book of Ephesians and three times just in these verses that we have before us you know there's a lot of things that that man can't figure out and these mysteries are things that man no matter how smart man may get or no matter how powerful of a computer that man may be able to build to help, help him figure out things that he will never ever be able to figure out was thinking about that, and I remember the passage in, in uh, Proverbs where the writer of Proverbs says, you know, he, he just cannot figure out why a man gets so stupid when he falls in love with a woman. And that's one of the things that man never can figure out and never will be able to figure out. Uh, and I think God made that, you know, for a reason. But anyway... Uh, and, and also, these mysteries are not like the so, so-called mystery cults, you know, where only the initiates into the religion or the cult knows exactly what's going on. These mysteries are proclaimed openly for all the world to see, for all the world to hear. You might say that they're they're hidden, but they're hidden in plain sight because nobody can figure them out and and fully understand them and fully appreciate them unless you are born again unless you are spiritual spiritually alive because they are things that are spiritually discerned and the the natural man cannot discern spiritual things let's look at verses 1 through 6 for this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how by by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of man, as it has has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. For this reason, now what reason is he talking about? In the last part of chapter 2, Paul told us of the dual alienation suffered by the Gentiles before Jesus came. We were alienated from God and we were alienated... From God's people he says in Ephesians tw- 2 and 12 at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world and then in the next verse he adds that wonderful word but but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then he goes on to say, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace that he might reconcile them to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. You know, to our 21st century Western way of thinking, bringing Jew and, and Gentile together uh, is a wonderful thing. I mean, we're, you know, we're all about inclusion, understanding, diversity and, and such things as that. But in Jesus' time, in Paul's time, it was, yeah, to quote the great Vizzini, I can't seem to do anything up here without quoting something from the Prince's Bride, it seems, but to quote the great Vizini, this was inconceivable. To get a handle on just how deep the racial divide between Jew and Gentile was, Let's look at Paul's address to the Jews in Acts chapter 22. And to set the stage for this drama, Paul had, at the end of his third missionary journey, had gone back to Jerusalem to take uh, an offering for the church there. And despite the warnings that he had received that something dire was going to happen if he went, you know, he, he went anyway. And... The word had gotten out that he had been fraternizing with the Gentiles. And there were some Jews there from Asia Minor where he came from. And they saw him in the temple with a couple of guys from Asia whom they recognized. And thinking that they were Gentiles. though they weren't. They falsely assumed that he had brought Gentiles into the temple. They dragged him out and were getting ready to beat him to death when a uh, Roman army commander came and, and rescued him. And he asked Paul who he was. Paul told him you know, that he was a Roman citizen, and he also asked if he could address the mob. And because he was a Roman citizen, the uh, commander allowed him to do so. So he began speaking to them in Hebrew, and thus they stopped and, and paid attention to him. Now, this is uh, you know, several verses, but I think it's important that we understand this story and to better understand the, the racial divide that we had between Jew and Gentile. And Paul says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent and he said i am indeed a jew born in tarsus of cilicia brought up in this city at the feet of gamaliel taught according to the strictness of our fathers law and was zealous toward god as you are today i persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering into prisons both men and women was also as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders from whom i also received letters to the brethren and went to damascus to bring chains <clears throat> to bring in chains even those who were there to jerusalem to be punished now as it happened as i journeyed i came near damascus about noon and suddenly a great light from heaven shone about me and i fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise, go to Damascus, and there you will be told all the things that are appointed for you to do and since I could not see for the glory of the light being led by the hand of those who were with me I came to Damascus and certain, a certain Ananias a devout man according to the law having a good testimony with all the Jews dwelt there came to see me and he stood and said to me brother Saul receive your sight and at that same hour I looked at him and he said the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. And we'll talk in a minute, you know, about him receiving this revelation, this word from the Lord. For you shall be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, it happened... When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death. And guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now you would think that if these people really knew God, they would be rejoicing at this point. You know, that God is doing something, He's spreading His word out, He is wanting to bring in uh, the Gentiles. They listened very quietly up to this point. Verse 22 says, And, when they, and they listened to him until this word, that is, he listened, they listened to him until he said, The Gentiles. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust in the air. So deep was their hatred of the Gentiles that they didn't even want them to come to God you know and this is illustrated in the story of Jonah being sent to Nineveh he didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach because he didn't want the Ninevites to repent and for God to spare them he would much rather that God wipe them out well Jonah had to go to Nineveh and God did uh, they did repent and God did spare them and Jonah got mad about it. And as Paul explained to this group of Jews, you know, he originally had no love for the Gentiles. He had no love for Gentiles in particular, or in general, and Christians in particular. In fact, he hated them. He persecuted them. You know, we might wonder why on earth God would choose somebody like Paul to be the one to bear the, uh, the message to the Gentiles. You know God doesn't do things like we do things, and I think there's a lot of irony in the way that He picks His people. <clears throat> Even today, you know, I think there's a lot of irony in the way that God picks His people to do things, because He works so much different than than we do. Uh, but <clears throat> ultimately, ultimately, what led to Paul's arrest and his being taken to prison in Rome was the fact that he said he was sent to the Gentiles. You know, when he starts off in this chapter, it sounds like he's going in in a different direction because he, he seems to interrupt himself. And then he changes course and and talks about his ministry, why he is uh, the apostle to the Gentiles, how he got in in this position. Uh, I think he was getting ready to start a prayer for the Ephesian church, which he picks up in verse 14. But this is some very, very important and very, very deep uh, uh, verses that he has in here. He elaborates on his call to the ministry that he was given, the ministry he was given by God and that he was given this ministry for the purpose of bringing God's word to the Gentiles. And this purpose, you know, was not Paul's purpose. It was God's purpose that God had given to Paul. And Paul here speaks of two distinct privileges of given to him by God in his grace. His grace, his unmerited favor. And certainly we have to agree with Paul that this was by grace because he certainly didn't earn the right to have these privileges. And the first privilege was receiving the revelation regarding the mystery that he is talking about. He said, by revelation he made known to me the mystery. So it was not something that Paul figured out on his own. Or someone else figured out for Paul and told him about it. It was something he received directly from God. You know, it's the same as what the apostle Peter wrote in Second uh, Peter. He said, "For we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty." Paul didn't make it up. He received it directly from Jesus. And he made it clear in his letter to the Galatians that he didn't receive it from any man. He said, You know, I didn't go and confer with those, I didn't go and be taught by them. I was taught directly by God. Then he went and talked to the uh, apostles in Jerusalem and found out that what he had learned from God, they had also learned from God. Now, and it, you know he says that in in other ages or you know in time past this was not made known to man but it's now been revealed by the spirit now you say, might say wait a minute you know doesn't the old testament talk about the the coming of the gentiles to god didn't god promise to abraham that through him the whole world all of mankind would be blessed didn't doesn't it say that one day the gentiles will come streaming like a, a mighty river into Jerusalem you know to learn the word of god yes it does and the jews knew that and the jews really had no no big problem with that because they were thinking of the old testament method of coming into the covenant people of God, and that is through becoming a proselyte. You had to become a Jew, you had to adhere to the law, you had to keep the Sabbath, if you were a man, you had to be circumcised, you had to do all these things. You had to basically become a Jew to enter into a relationship with God and with God's covenant people. You know, but even so, if you were a proselyte, you were always a proselyte, as far as the Jews were concerned. You, if you weren't born by by natural order as a descendant from one of Jacob's twelve sons, you know, the twelve tribes of Israel, you know, you were a proselyte, and as a result, you were in in many respects uh, a second-class citizen. Now. And what the Old Testament did not fully reveal and which Jesus only foretold and, and didn't explain or elaborate on was the radical nature of God's plan. He was not only going to, to bring the Gentiles into a covenant relationship with Him. He was going to completely fulfill the the law of Moses the law that these Jews loved so much he was going to completely fulfill that to where it would not be a requirement for righteousness but we were to take on his righteousness Jew and Gentile alike and thus become one, one body one society if you will That we would all come to God on equal terms without distinction. In Galatians 3.28 it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Colossians 3.11 says the same thing. There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. To sum it up, the mystery of Christ is the complete union of Jew and Gentile with each other into Him and through Him. Or as one commentator put it, Paul is proclaiming that Jew and Gentile Christians together are now fellow heirs and fellow partakers of the same blessing, the same fellowship, the same body, and of the same promises. Now that is radical. And in thinking about this, this week, uh, wouldn't it be so radical if the church could really exhibit this to the world? It would be radical if all Christian denominations could get along with one another. It would be radical if all Christians within one denomination could get along with one another. It would be radical if all Christians within one church could get along with one another. Now I'll have to say this, you know, you guys do wonderful <laughs> as far as getting along with one another. i, I you know, talked to a lot of other pastors, you know, uh, around around here and hear the stories of uh, infighting within the churches you know power struggles and all these things going on and I think you know praise the Lord (laughs) we have such a good congregation and I'm so proud of you guys just have to say that okay verse 7 of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power To me who am less than the least of all the saints this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. a minute ago, I spoke of two distinct privileges that, that Paul had been given by the grace of God. The first was the revelation of God's plan of salvation and the building of his church. Secondly, He received a commission. He said, Of which I became a minister uh, according to the gift of grace. Now, Paul had received a revelation of the mystery of God, but he didn't reveal this for Paul to keep for himself. He was to proclaim it to the world in the same way that we today are to proclaim it to the world. He didn't give it to us for us to keep within ourselves but to share with everyone and Paul didn't expect God didn't expect Paul to preach this in his own power in Paul's own power he had no more ability to save someone than he had to rave somebody from the dead it's the same same way with me standing here I can stand here and talk but without the power of the Holy Spirit my words mean nothing These are God's words, and God's words come with power and with the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. You know, Paul emphasized the fact that when he went to various churches, you know, and when he preached the gospel to them, he didn't do so with eloquence. It wasn't in his own. Charisma, you know that he won people to him, he won people to the Lord, you know through the Lord's power and the working of the Holy Spirit in him, and Paul doesn't take lightly his apostleship, and neither does he take it for granted. you know somehow, I have to feel that Paul would agree with with most of us that he was a very unlikely candidate to take the gospel to the Gentiles actually to take the gospel anywhere you know let alone to the Gentiles and you know he seriously hated the fact that he had blasphemed that he had persecuted the church and even though he knew that he had been forgiven you know, I don't know that he ever really uh, forgave himself and that is why he addresses himself as less than the least of all the saints. In other words, I think he, he is minimizing himself while he is magnifying his office. Spurgeon said, but while Paul was thus thankful for his office, his, in its success, he was greatly humiliated. It humbled him. The fuller a vessel becomes, the deeper it sinks in the water. The plenitude of grace is a cure for pride. Spurgeon always had a way of saying things. Then Paul talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. The good news of the unsearchable riches of Christ, which Paul preached and which he wrote in the first two chapters of this letter, is that he died and rose again, not only to save sinners like you and me, but also to create a single new humanity. Not only to redeem us from sins, but to adopt us into God's family. Not only to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us to one another. Thus the church is an integral part of the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of a new society, as well as of a new life. And no one stated this better, I don't think, than Jesus himself when he said that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now Paul's commission was to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles but that wasn't all of his commission there was a second part he said and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery although he was apostle to the Gentiles he didn't fail to preach the gospel to the Jews as well it was his custom in every city to go to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles God's plan all along was and brought to fruition through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was the securing of salvation of God's people and bringing them into fellowship with Him and fellowship with one another. It was Paul's commission to proclaim this to the world. It was the other apostles' commission to proclaim this to the world. And today it is our commission to proclaim this to the world. Jesus said that we are the light of the world. We should set our light on a hill for all to see. Not hide it under a basket or hide it anywhere, but let our light see what is the fellowship of the mystery of the church. Verse 10 is a very interesting and somewhat controversial verse, I suppose, to the intent that it, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. You know, although the gospel is preached to humans, spiritual beings, angels, or whatever else is there, uh, receive a uh, indirect result. That through the preaching of the gospel and the foundation of the church, the manifold wisdom of God is demonstrated. The coming into existence of the church as a community of saved and reconciled people is at one and the same time a public demonstration of God's power, grace, and wisdom. God's mighty power in resurrection his immeasurable grace and kindness and his manifold wisdom now who is this office I'm audience when I get office who, who is this audience that is watching from heavenly places you know our, our knowledge of spiritual beings is, is very limited and I think we need to be very careful not to venture into areas that we don't know or into idle speculation. But we just want to focus on what we can know. And we know that they inhabit the heavenly places, that they are spiritual beings. But we also know that they are not omniscient. They have to be instructed because they wonder about these things. Uh, First Peter you know Peter writes uh, these, the, uh, the gospel is something that angels desire to look into to know more about to learn more about but although our knowledge of the spiritual world is, is quite limited we know that there is a spiritual world and that it is very real In fact, in some ways we could say that the unseen world, the spiritual world, is more real than the physical world. The natural world that we do see. For Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians, For the things that are seen are transient. In other words, they're not going to stick around forever. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And I'm going to jump down to verse 13 where Paul says, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul was in prison. It it wasn't fun. It, It was a trial. He was under house arrest, but being in prison, in any kind of prison, is not fun. But... You know, Jesus demonstrated his love for us by dying for us when we were yet sinners. Paul demonstrates his love for the church by suffering for the church. Jesus knew that his suffering and dying would bring salvation to his people. Paul knew that his suffering and his tribulations would be for the glory of the church. The church is so important to God's way of things, for God's plan. It wasn't just to save us. That's That's the first and most important thing. But secondly, and almost equally important, is the building of the church and the bringing of us together. Uh, I like John Stott's comments regarding the church. He says, The gospel, which some of us proclaim, is much too individualistic. Christ died for me, we say. And then we sing of heaven. That will be glory for me. Both affirmations are true. As for the first, the Apostle Paul himself uh, could write, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me and as for the so-called glory song the gospel does promise glory for believers in heaven but this is far from being the full gospel for it is evident from Ephesians 3 that the full gospel concerns both Christ as Savior of the individual and creator of the church before his arrest Jesus prayed for the church. <clears throat> he had just finished praying for his apostles in particular, then he prays for the church uh, in general. And he says, I do not pray for these alone, that is the apostles, but I but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you. Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, I don't want to downplay the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is of vital importance because without a personal relationship with the Lord, we are doomed to eternal separation from the love of God. But God wants us to have a relationship with one another for us to be one as Jesus prayed for us to be one. You know, we do that pretty well here at Calvary Chapel. But I don't want us to lose that important aspect of our relationship with the Lord and that is our relationship with one another. I I want us to always be aware that we are part of something profound, amazing, or, as the world may think, inconceivable. Let's pray. Father, again we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your church. We thank you for making us part of it that we are part of something that is so grand, so glorious, that it is really beyond our comprehension, but at the same time we can glory in it, knowing that this is Your work and that we are a part of Your work. Help us, Lord, to never fail to proclaim Your goodness, never never to fail to proclaim the mystery of Your church to the world to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen.